0: The following is a continuation of the book, Distinguishing Marks of a Work of the Spirit of God. Jonathan Edwards Number 3. It is no argument and an operation on the minds of people as not the work of the Spirit of God that it occasions a great deal of noise about religion. For though true religion be of a contrary nature to that of the Pharisees, which was ostentatious and delighted to set itself forth to the few of men for their applause. Yet such is human nature that it is morally impossible that there should be a great concern, strong affection, and a general engagedness of mind amongst a people without causing a notable, visible, and open communion and alteration amongst that people. Surely it is no argument that the minds of persons are not under the influence of God's spirit that they are very much moved. For indeed, spiritual and eternal things are so great, and of such infinite concern, that there is a great absurdity in men's being but moderately moved and affected by them. And surely it is no argument that they are not moved by the Spirit of God, that they are affected with the things in some measure as they deserve, or in some proportion to their importance. And when was there ever any such thing since the world stood as a people in general being greatly affected in any affair whatsoever without noise or stir? The nature of man will not allow it. Indeed, Christ says in Luke seventeen, verse twenty, "The kingdom of God comes not with observation." That is, it will not consist in what is outward and visible. It shall not be like earthly kingdoms set up with outward pomp in some particular place which shall be especially the royal city and seat of the kingdom, as Christ explains himself in the words next following, neither shall they say, lo, here, or lo, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Not that the kingdom of God shall be set up in the world, on the ruin of Satan's kingdom without a very observable great effect, a mighty change in the state of things, to the observation and astonishment of the whole world, for such an effect as this, is even held forth in the prophecies of Scripture, and so by Christ himself in this very place, and even in his own explanation of these four mentioned words, verse 24. For as the lightning lightens out of one part under heaven, shines to another part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. This is to distinguish Christ's coming to set up his kingdom, From the coming of false Christs, which he tells us will be in a private manner in the deserts, and in the secret chambers, whereas this event of setting up the kingdom of God should be open and public, in the sight of the whole world, with clear manifestation like lightning that cannot be hid but glares in everyone's eyes and shines from one side of heaven to the other. And we find that when Christ's kingdom came, by that remarkable pouring out of the Spirit in the apostles' days, it occasioned a great stir everywhere. What a mighty opposition was there in Jerusalem, on occasion of the great effusion of the Spirit. And so in Samaria, Antioch, Ephesus, Corinth, and other places, the affair filled the world with noise and gave occasion to some to say of the apostles that they had turned the world upside down, Acts 17, verse 6. Number four, it is no argument that an operation on the minds of a people is not the work of the Spirit of God, that many who are the subjects of it have great impressions made on their imaginations. That persons have many impressions on their imaginations does not prove that they have nothing else. It is easy to be accounted for that there should be much of this nature amongst a people, where a great multitude of all kinds of constitutions have their minds engaged with intent, thought, and strong affections about invisible things. Yea, it would be strange if there should not be. Such is our nature, that we cannot think of things invisible without a degree of imagination. I dare appeal to any man of the greatest powers of mind, whether he is able to fix his thoughts on God or Christ or to the things of another world without imaginary ideas attending his meditations. And the more engaged the mind is, and the more intense the contemplation and affection, still the more lively and strong the imaginary idea will ordinarily be, especially when attended with surprise. And this is a case when the mental prospect is very new and takes strong hold of the passions as fear or joy. And when the change of the state of views of the mind is sudden from a contrary extreme, is from that which was extremely dreadful to that which is extremely ravishing and delightful. And it is no wonder that many persons do not well distinguish between that which is imaginary and that which is intellectual and spiritual and that they are apt to lay too much weight on the imaginary part, and are most ready to speak of that in the account they give of their experiences, especially persons of less understanding of a distinguishing capacity, as God has given us such a faculty as the imagination, and so made us that we cannot think of things spiritual and invisible without some exercise of this faculty. So... It appears to me that such is our state in nature, that this faculty is really subservient and helpful to the other faculties of the mind, when a proper use is made of it, though oftentimes when the imagination is too strong. Any other faculties is weak, it overbears and disturbs them in their exercise. It appears to me manifest in many instances with which I have been acquainted, that God has really made one of this faculty to truly divine purposes especially in some that are more ignorant. God seems to condescend to their circumstances and deal with them as babes as of old he instructed his church, whilst in a state of ignorance and minority by types and outward representations. I can see nothing unreasonable in such a position. Let others who have much occasion to deal with souls and spiritual concerns judge whether experience does not confirm it. It is no argument that a work is not of the Spirit of God, that some who are the subjects of it have been in a kind of ecstasy in which they have been carried beyond themselves and had their minds transported into a train of strong and pleasing imaginations, and a kind of visions, as though they were wrapped up even in heaven, and there saw glorious sights. I have been acquainted with some such instances, and I see no need of bringing in the help of the devil into the account, that we give of these things, nor yet of supposing them to be of the same nature with the visions of the prophets, or Paul's rapture into paradise. Human nature, under these intense exercises and affections, is all that need be brought into the account. If it may be well accounted for that persons under a true sense of the glorious and wonderful greatness and excellency of divine things in so ravishing views of the beauty and love of Christ, did have the strength of nature overpowered, as I have already shown that it may. Then I think it is not at all strange that amongst great numbers that are thus affected and overborne, there should be some persons of particular constitutions that should have their imaginations thus affected. The effect, in no other than what bears a proportion and analogy to other effects of the strong exercise of their minds. It is no wonder. When the thoughts are so fixed, and the affection so strong, and the whole soul so engaged, ravished, and swallowed up, that all other parts of the body are so affected, as to be deprived of their strength and the whole frame ready to dissolve, is it any wonder that, in such a case, the brain in particular, especially in some constitutions, which we know is most especially affected by intense contemplation and exercises of mind, should be so affected that his strength and spirit should for a season be diverted and taken off from impressions made on the organs of external sense and be wholly employed in a train of pleasing, delightful imaginations corresponding with the present frame of the mind. Some are ready to interpret such things wrong and lay too much weight on them as prophetical visions, divine revelations, and sometimes signification from heaven of what shall come to pass which the issue in some instances I have known has shown to be otherwise. But yet it appears to me that such things are evidently sometimes from the Spirit of God, though indirectly that is their extraordinary frame of mind, and as strong and lively sense of divine things which is the occasion of them is from His Spirit, and also as a mind continues in its holy frame, and retains a divine sense of the excellency of spiritual things even in its rapture, which holy frame and sense is from the Spirit of God, though the imaginations that attend it are but accidental, and therefore there is commonly something or other in them that is confused, improper, and, and false. Number five, it is no sign that a work is not from the Spirit of God, that example is a great means of it. It is surely no argument that an effect is not from God, a means are used in producing it, for we know that it is in God's manner to make use of means in carrying on his work in the world. And it is no more an argument against the divinity of an effect that this means is made use of, than it was by any other means. It is agreeable to Scripture that persons should be influenced by one another's good example. The Scripture directs us to set good examples to that in Matthew five verse sixteen, first Peter three one, first Timothy four twelve, Titus two verse seven. And also directs us to be influenced by the good examples of others and to follow them in 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 to 7, Hebrews 6 verse 12, by which it appears that example is one of God's means, and certainly it is no argument that a work is not of God that his own means are made use of to effect it. And as it is a scriptural way of carrying on God's work by example, so it is a reasonable way. It is no argument that men are not influenced by reason that they are influenced by example. This way of persons holding forth truth to one another has a tendency to enlighten the mind, and it convents reason. None will deny but that for persons to signify things one to another by words may rationally be supposed to tend to enlighten each other's minds. But the same thing may be signified by actions and signified much more fully and effectually. Words are of no use any otherwise, and as they convey our own ideas to others, but actions in some cases may do it much more fully. There is language in actions, and in some cases much more clear and convincing than in words. It is therefore no argument against the goodness of the effect that persons are greatly affected by seeing others so. Yea, though the impression be made only by seeing the tokens of great and extraordinary affection in others and their behavior, taken for granted what they are affected with without hearing them say one word. There may be language sufficient in such a case in their behavior only to convey their minds to others, to signify to them their sense of things more than can possibly be done by words only. If a person should see another under extreme bodily torment, He might receive much clearer ideas and more convincing evidence of what he suffered by his actions in his misery than he could do only by the words of an unaffected indifferent relator. In like manner he might receive a greater idea of anything that is excellent and very delightful from the behavior of one that is in actual enjoyment than by the dull narration of one which is inexperienced and insensible himself. I desire that this manner may be examined by the strictest reason is it not manifest that effects produced in persons' minds are rational, since not only weak and ignorant people are much influenced by example, but also those that make the greatest boast of strength of reason are more influenced by reason held forth in this way than almost any other way? Indeed, the religious affections of many when raised by this means is by hearing the word preached, or any other means, may prove flashily and soon vanish, his Christ represents a stony ground hearers, but the affections of some thus moved by example are abiding and prove to be of a saving issue. There never yet was a time of remarkable pouring out of the Spirit, and great revival of religion, but that example had a main hand in it. So it was at the Reformation, and in the Apostles' days in Jerusalem and Samaria and Ephesus and other parts of the world as will be most manifest to anyone that attends to the accounts we have in the Acts of the Apostles. As in those days one person was moved by another, so one city or town was influenced by the example of another First Thessalonians 1 verses 7 and 8. So that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God-word is spread abroad. It is no valid objection against examples being so much used, that the scripture speaks of the word as the principal means of carrying on God's work. For the word of God is the principal means, nevertheless by which other means operate, and are made effectual. Even the sacraments have no effect but by the word, and so it is that example becomes effectual, for all that is visible to the eye is unintelligible and vain, without the word of God to instruct and guide the mind. It is a word of God that is indeed held forth and applied by example, as a word of the Lord sounded forth to other towns in Macedonia and Achaia by the example of those that believe in Thessalonica. That example should be a great means of propagating the church of God seems to be several ways signified in Scripture. It is signified by Ruth following Naomi out of the land of Moab into the land of Israel. When she received that, she would not leave her, but would go whither she went and would lodge where she lodged. And that Naomi's people should be her people and Naomi's God her God. Ruth who was the ancestral mother of David, and of Christ was undoubtedly a great type of the church, upon which account her history is inserted in the canon of scripture. And leaving the land of Moab and its gods to come and put her trust under the shadow of the wings of the God of Israel, we have a type of the conversion not only of the Gentile church, but of her sinner, that is naturally an alien and stranger but in his conversion forgets his own people and father's house and becomes a fellow citizen with the saints and a true Israelite. The same seems to be signified in the effect. The example of the spouse, when she was sick of love, has on the daughters of Jerusalem, i.e., visible Christians, who were first awakened by seeing the spouse in such extraordinary circumstances, and then converted. Song of Solomon 5, verses 8-9 to and, six verse one. and this is undoubtedly one way that the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Revelation twenty two seventeen. By the Spirit in the Bride it is foretold that the work of God should be very much carried on by this means, in the last great outpouring of the Spirit that should introduce the glorious day of the church so often spoken of in Scripture in Zechariah 8, verses 21 to 23. And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass, that ten men shall take hold of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you.